Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Well, we're in a series, you know, Are, are You the One? We're talking about that up till Christmas Eve. And um, I, I want to ask you a question this morning. You know, what, what is a miracle? What are miracles? And if I, if I were to ask you, have you ever experienced a, a miracle in your life, what would your answer be? What would you say? Albert Einstein said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as if nothing is a miracle, and the other is as if everything is a miracle. Now, we can see this kind of in a way when we look at God's creation, and when we look at man, you know, I'll ask another question. Are you breathing? Yes, hallelujah, amen. Good, glad to hear that. All right, yes, are you breathing? Now, by the end of this sermon, now that kind of depends upon me. But by the end of this sermon, you will have inhaled and exhaled approximately 300 times without even giving a second thought. Think about this. The average person moves about 440 cubic feet of air per day through the nose and trachea into the lungs. Now, once in your lungs, oxygen atoms hitchhike with a hemoglobin and travel through the entire body to, to the, through the blood vessels. Blood vessels that are about approximately, if added together, about 100,000 miles, blood vessels. Then the oxygen enters the individual cells, bonds with the food we eat, and releases energy. Amazing. Uh, Acts 17.25 says, God gives all men life and breath. It was the book of Job. And Job 34 says, if God were to withdraw his breath from man, he would return to dust. Every breath you and I take is a miracle. The average person takes about 23,000 breaths every day. So you experience at least 23,000 miracles every day. Now I know that in that sense we're looking at miracles as these uh, extraordinary things that happen, but they're kind of like what we call common everyday miracles. We normally don't classify them as miracles. Uh, Webster defines a miracle as extraordinary, unusual, wonder, or marvel. Our understanding from a biblical perspective is that a miracle is a supernatural event that uh, is a supernatural event transforming or suspending the regular laws of the universe. It's beyond human capability or explanation. It's a miracle. The birth of a child is a miracle. And we've heard stories of, uh, even stories where, where uh, a couple were not able to conceive, not able to have a child. They said it would never be possible. And yet, miraculously, it's happened. They've conceived and the baby has been born. We've seen those uh, who, have, uh, who have been given the news that uh, they, they are going to have a baby, but the baby will probably not survive. And if they do, they're probably going to have severe problems. And we've seen situations where uh, the baby was carried full term and was delivered and was healthy and strong. And we call that, man, that's a miracle baby. 
I want to talk about another miracle baby this morning. And we celebrate that, especially this time of year. We call it the miracle of, of Christmas, the Christmas miracle. I had the opportunity many years ago to travel to Israel. And one of the places we visited while in Israel was that we went to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, we visited this, this uh, fortress-type structure, this, the church of the nativity. This, you know, oftentimes people, we get the sense that I'm going to go to Israel, I'm going to Bethlehem, and I'm going to go down this little road, and somehow I'm going to see an inn or a stable or something that this is not going to happen. It's not that way when you travel over there because uh, there's many of these places have been destroyed, have been leveled, and they built on top of it. So sometimes in order to get to, to the beginning or to the original place there, you have to dig down deep and go below the surface. It's like that here in the church nativity. You go downstairs in this type dungeon type area almost. You go down deep in there and you come to this little place where you, where you see that there's lights and lanterns hanging over this marble. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, you have to understand this church is built over a grotto or a cave type structure. And there's a silver star inlaid in, marble, in the marble floor that's supposed to mark the spot where Jesus' birth took place. Now, the location there may not be accurate, but the story of the birth of Jesus Christ is accurate. There's many great miracles in the Bible, Old Testament miracles that are just fascinating, amazing. Then we get in the New Testament and Jesus and the miracles there that Jesus turned the water into wine, the first miracle we have recorded in Jesus' ministry. And that uh, he walked on water. He fed 5,000 plus or about 10,000 people, loaves and fish from just a handful of, of uh, loaves and fish. He performed supernatural healing. He raised the dead. Amazing miracles, but none of those miracles are greater than the miracle of the virgin birth and the incarnation. I'm thinking about this morning and the miracle baby. I'm thinking about now, all right, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the incarnation. We're talking about the virgin birth and incarnation. How in the world can you talk about that and it be interesting? Now, is it just going to be some dry theological statement? Or, you know, what, how can you make this interesting? Because it is important. We use the words virgin birth and incarnation, but I'm, I'm not sure, sure, I'm not really sure that we, we see the, the, how important this is and what it really means to us. The Doctrine of the virgin birth is directly related to, but not identical with, the doctrine of incarnation. Jesus was conceived by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit without the involvement of a human father. Now, Jesus' supernatural conception is historically recorded. It's a historical fact. It was prophesied some 700 years before it was actually fulfilled. When Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, the Amplified Bible puts it this way. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold or listen carefully. The virgin. Now the word virgin there is the word amah in the Hebrew. And it can simply mean young woman. And there have been some that said, well, you see, the Bible doesn't really teach it. 
virgin birth, just as she's a young woman. That's a term that's used here. It means young woman. Uh, it says, we'll conceive, we'll give birth to a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Then we move to the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 18, then we're going to look at verses 20 through 23. In Matthew chapter 1, Amplified Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was this way, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. While she was a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, 20 through 23 says that Joseph is... You know, he's trying to figure out what to do in this situation. He gets, uh, has a dream. The angel tells him not to fear. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. The virgin, the words virgin here in these Matthew passages and also in Luke 1, when they use the term virgin, is a different word than the one used in Isaiah. It's parthenos. And this particular word is referring more distinctly to a, a woman who has had no sexual relationships with another being. There's no man involved in the picture here. And so it, they're quite, it, it's quite interesting that when Matthew, when Matthew gives us the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, he uses the, the Greek and the Septuagint is the word that we use that describes how the Hebrew was translated into Greek. And so the Hebrew word ama, when it was translated into Greek, became parthenos. And the word parthenos is very important here that what Matthew was saying and what the Holy Spirit was communicating through Matthew was, this is not just some other young woman. This is a woman who is, as we would refer to it today, as we virgin. This was a young virgin. Now, there are those who believe that Mary was somewhere between 14 and 15 years old to 17 years old. So she was very, very young. Uh, the miracle of the virgin birth declared in the scripture. Now, I think sometimes we sing the songs and we hear about and read about it. And we really, we, we really do not grasp the significance or just how amazing this, how amazing this miracle is. How amazing. In fact, there are those who have a real problem with this teaching of the virgin birth. With the rise of liberal theology, the humanism, they, they deny the truth of the scriptures. That the virgin birth simply is a creative way of saying that Jesus was God's gift to humanity. That the specific things about being a supernatural virgin birth was just added later. They call it later creations. Critics say that Jesus was probably illegitimate and the gospel accounts the virgin birth is an attempt to cover up that embarrassing fact. Others speculate that the narrative of the supernatural birth was simply borrowed from ancient pagan mythology that the New Testament's filled with myths and exaggerations. Some believe that Jesus was human. He was a man, but he became God-like and referred to him as a great teacher, an amazing man, a prophet. Agnostics, humanists, false religions reject the virgin birth. 
There's those who believe that the doctrine or teaching of the virgin birth is just simply not that important when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just the opposite is true. Without the virgin birth, there is no gospel. If the child to be born were merely human, then there was no need for supernatural conception, was there? I mean, think about this. Adam, in the book of Genesis, Adam had a miraculous birth, didn't he? By the hand of God. He had neither father nor mother. There was no conception. But Adam was not God. In this supernatural birth here, we find that this virgin birth was necessary in order for there to be an incarnation or for God to take on manhood. Absolutely amazing. Incarnation is a supernatural event that required a supernatural birth. God involves himself in our world. He intervenes in human affairs. He overrides natural laws and accomplishes his purpose. Look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, virgin birth. Unto us a son is given, incarnation, deity, the Son of God. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word incarnation literally means embodiment. The theological term for the coming of God's Son into the world as a human being. Now you will not find the word incarnation in the Bible. It's not there. But you will find the truth of the fact of the incarnation is absolutely there. But Jesus did not abandon his deity but rather added humanity to his divinity. And this is difficult to grasp but this is the truth. He was both fully God and fully human. He was Emmanuel, God with us. John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, this is referring to Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word did what? The Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul refers to it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. He says, Talking about Jesus, he said, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, taking the form of a servant or slave and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of the man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Colossians 1.19 says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things. Incarnation. God with us. I, 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 just, just think about this. Let me point out a few things. When you think about incarnation, it just, you know, it's hard to get excited about that particular word. It, you know, it's just not one we think about a whole lot. But let me, let me present it in a little different way. Think about the miracle of the incarnation. God became human. Get this. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. 
The infinite became finite. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame from the throne to a cross. He who breathed the breath of life into the first man is now himself a man breathing his first breath. King of kings sleeping in a stable. From the roads of eternal glory to the rags of swaddling clothes. The creator of oceans and seas and rivers afloat in the womb of his mother. He who sustains the world is now held in his mother's arms. The Alpha and Omega is learning his multiplication tables. He who spoke the universe into being is now learning to talk. Infinite power is now learning to crawl. Eternal, yet born of a woman. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby needing to be fed, changed, and taught to talk and walk. The more you think about it, the more amazing it is. The incarnation is central to the Christmas message. Other biblical doctrines stand or fall on the reality and the truth of this. Now, the subject of the virgin birth and incarnation is often a dividing line between true Christianity and cults or false religions. To reject the virgin birth incarnation is to reject the authority of the scripture. That's why it's such a stumbling block to people such as non-believing Jews. It's such a stumbling block to Muslims, to Unitarians, to Jehovah's Witnesses, the truth of the virgin birth and the incarnation that God is with us, that you can have a personal relationship with God is offensive to them. And yet, it is the center of our Christian faith. Well, what does that mean to you and me? We can talk about this, wonderful scriptures, interesting things about the virgin birth, incarnation, but what, what, why is it important? What does it mean to us? You know, the virgin birth, the incarnation, demonstrates just how far, just how far that the Son of God would go to express His love to us and to redeem us and to change us. Let me point out some things as to why I believe it's extremely important for us to celebrate the truth of the virgin birth and that He is Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation. First of all, these truths reveal to us the Father. It reveals to us just what God is like. You know, the revelation of God was rather limited. Many of us have been reading through the Bible in 2017 and coming right down to the finish line here. Um, just a few more chapters and, and be through with, with the Bible and also through... Uh, a couple of times through the New Testament and Psalms, but it's, it's been, you know, after all these years in the ministry, it's been such a reminder to me in, in reading through the Old Testament that if you were to just simply say, well, I read about the Old Testament God and New Testament God, that must be two different gods. But it's not, it's the same God. We could say it's different dispensations that God was working in time to bring about the promise of salvation through the covenant, through the law, that it was impossible for man to keep, but it certainly taught man that he needed sacrifice, he needed forgiveness of his sins. The covenant promises that God would bring about 
the redemption of mankind, the promise of Messiah, all these things. So, so important, but when you read the Old Testament, it seems as if it's, he's a vengeful God or he's always out to, to attack or to judge. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there's an aspect of God that judges evil. There's, God is holy and God is the ultimate judge. However, we needed a more defined, a clear picture of what God's really like. So God sent his only son. And the best revelation we have of what our God is like, we find in Jesus. And we can read about Jesus. We can learn about him. We can see what was important to him. We can discover just how much he loved. We can see how he lived. And, you know, he was asked by one of the disciples, show us the Father. Show, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, look at me. Look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was, you know, we had, we had revelations in, in the uh, Old Testament. Hebrews 1 says, you know, that we learned about God through the prophets, through the law, through all these things, through angels even. But now we have a more complete revelation through the Son, Jesus Christ. And when he came to be with us, and when he came to live out his life before us as men, then we saw the demonstration of what God was like because he demonstrated God's great love, mercy, and grace. A new covenant, new promises that we have. So many people stumble over that. Never, never, never overlook or deny the seriousness of sin. Never think that it's unimportant for us to live out a life committed to God. Never, never look at the fact to say it's no big deal. It is a big deal that we follow him. It is a big deal that we honor him. But instead of the emphasis being on the fact that, that God is just simply out here to get us, he's, he's there watching you, he sees every time you fail, he, he's there to judge your sins. And this, was the, the, this was somewhat the concept that he was the, judge, God, the judging God and that he was the Messiah that was to come to rule and reign in authority in the government there here upon this earth. And he eventually will in the second coming. But the people simply had no accurate revelation of the great mercy and grace and the new covenant, the gift of life and of the loving Father. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what was Jesus always expressing? He was always expressing love and grace and forgiveness. And we found out through Jesus that he's a good, good Father. So through the miracle of the virgin birth, the incarnation, and through the life that Jesus lived, this was necessary in order for us to get a clearer picture of what God's really like. John 14, 9, he who's seen the Father, who you've seen me has seen the Father. Secondly, it's important because it provides our salvation. Without the virgin birth incarnation, there is no redemption. The cross would not have, mean, would not have meant anything. This was necessary in order for him to fulfill, to do what he could do as Redeemer on the cross. 
Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, he said, I came to seek and to save that was lost, all those who are lost. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15, the Bible says, this is a faithful and trustworthy saying and should be accepted by all that Jesus came into the world. What did he do? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am chief or the worst. You see, we are sinners before you come to Christ. You're a sinner with no ability to save yourself. It requires someone who came on your behalf, born as a man who did not sin and who became the perfect sacrifice in our place. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that he was manifested, he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. The third reason why it's important is because through this, we it reveals to us that we now have a mediator, we have a mediator, a go-between, someone who pleads our case. In the Old Testament, we, we, we saw Moses who was a mediator between, between uh, God and the people and, and, and the people and God and that he would often pray and intercede on their behalf. He was kind of like the go-between who would cry out for their sake. But, but that was only temporary and that was very limited. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born and lived out his life as a human, perfect without sin, in obedience to the Father. And by this, by his death on the cross, he then has become our mediator, our high priest, which means that he intercedes for us, which means that he stands there to mediate on our behalf. What a powerful thing. And he's one who lies for He's an eternal mediator. We have him. The only way we can approach God, now have access to God, is through our mediator. In Jesus' name. We come to God through Jesus and what he's done for us. Without that, we have no access to God. I mean, this is important, extremely important. Reveals our mediator, the go-between. Fourth, we can see that because of this truth, that he has come to be with us, that he has destroyed the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Lying, murdering, betraying, lawlessness, destruction. The word works there in 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, or this is why the Son of God was manifested, now, when we say the Son of God was manifested, that's talking about a virgin birth, the incarnation. That's the description of it. He was manifested. Now, when something is manifested, it, it, it means that it already existed, but now is shown. This actually gives us a clear picture that Jesus existed before the birth, before his birth as a human. He existed from all eternity, from the beginning. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, his deity. And yet when he came to earth, what? He came to earth and was manifested or brought for this purpose. Why? To destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. This is important for us as believers right now. Anybody ever in encounter, everybody, any, do you ever encounter an attack from the enemy, from Satan, the devil? Do you ever deal with those situations in life? Of course we do. Well, I thought the Bible said that Jesus had destroyed the works of the devil. 
didn't say he had destroyed the devil. It said he destroyed the works of the devil. He still makes every attempt to work through people, through situations, to attack us. Satan is real. Evil is real. But Jesus destroyed the works means that Satan no longer has the right or the authority to bring about that damage, that destruction, that horror in our lives. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and I'm having this happen in my life. It doesn't have to. And this is extremely important. The power's authority, the enemy's authority has been, has been destroyed. Does the enemy still have authority? In some, in some ways we could say he does. But the power of his authority has been destroyed, which simply means that he can only do what we allow him to do. It's a strong statement. A strong statement. When we say the old adage from years ago and the comedian that said, well, the devil made me do it. He can't make you do it. Because why? Because he, his works have been destroyed. Jesus came to bring life where there was death. He came to bring light where there was darkness. He, bring to be, he came to bring healing where there was hurt and pain. He came to bring restoration to us for what was lost. And by him being born in supernatural birth, God with us, living out a perfect life as a human being, never sinning against God, pleasing the Father in everything he did, offering himself as a perfect sacrifice to die on our behalf, taking our sins upon himself, taking our unrighteousness so that we could become righteous, dying, rising up from the grave, ascending to the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, putting us in a position as believers to be at the right hand of the Father, Him interceding for us, putting us in a place of authority and power as believers because the enemy has been defeated, therefore it's important for us for us to declare that and for us to demonstrate it in our lives. I, I think that the enemy gets by with so much that, you know, because we don't realize that the victory has already been won. What we have to do is to appropriate what Christ has already done for us. When you come under the gun and the attack, then you need to know that right now, through Jesus Christ, he has already overcome the power of the enemy. You do not have to bow down to that. You do not have to, you do not have to suffer through that. You can overcome. You can overcome. Last thing I need to mention is that because this great truth that he is God with us, that it sets the stage for his second coming. It sets the stage for his second coming. When he came on earth, he came to establish the kingdom of God here through us. So one of the important things for us to know is that because of the reality of the life that Jesus lived and who he is, he has now given us power and authority, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the word. He's given us power and authority to walk in his way, 
to be more than conquerors, to be overcomers, to experience miracles in our life. He's given us what we need to walk out and live out his kingdom here on earth. To live according to kingdom of God principles, which is many times finds itself completely set against the principles or the values of this world. But when we learn how to do that, then we learn how to live in such a way to live out that joy, to live out that victory, to live out the purpose and the destiny that God has given us. And by his coming the first time and being obedient all the way to the death of the cross and conquering the grave, guess what? Now that has set the stage for his return. Because we know he came the first time according to prophecy, we know that he's returning again because he said he would and because the prophecy tells us he will. And so in the meantime, between then and now, you and I have much to do. <laughs> you and I have a life to live walking in that victory he's provided for us. And you and I can do that through the power that he's given us. Understand that God has called us to live in such a way. James 5, 8 says, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts, Keep them energized and firmly committed to God because the coming of the Lord is near. And I close with this. You know, this time of year, you have, you hear little phrases like, you know, the magic of Christmas. Or Christmas is just a, a magical time. It's just, it's, it's just a, like a miraculous time. Things are different. And in many ways, we can see that around us. The way that God provided for our salvation through Jesus' birth and through his coming into this earth to be God with us is an absolute miracle. It's the miracle that God has given to each and every one of us that allowed him to come to live out his life, to die on the cross, provide everything you and I need to live the life that God has given us to live. And thank God for it. Could I leave you with this? It's not so important that you seek miracles. Don't seek miracles. Follow Jesus. And if you follow him long enough, and far enough, you'll find yourself in the middle of miracles. Hey, I want to live in the middle of miracles. And God has made the way for us to do that. My prayer is that not only this during this season, but, but this is a time when our minds kind of go that direction. Let me really encourage you. We've got a couple of weeks ahead as we approach that day that most people celebrate. My prayer is that you will be reminded of just how far God would go and just how much grace he has given and just how much love he's demonstrated that the very God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, came to this place and he came here for you 
and for me. And we can know him personally. And as we follow him, it will make an amazing difference in our lives. My prayer is, is that you and I will experience that in a greater way this year than ever before. That God is a God of miracles. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. Father, thank you for a time to worship today. What an awesome, awesome privilege to worship you, Lord. We praise you. God, we believe your word. We believe the scripture. And even though, even though there may be those who criticize or attack it, and even though when we think about it, we think, well, I, I don't, Lord, I just don't see how that could happen. Well, it's a miracle. So we, that's the way it is with miracles. <laughs> God, you've done an extraordinary thing to bring about a way for us to personally know you experience you in our life. Thank you for this great gift. God, may we be reminded of that every morning, every day, that you love us so much that you sent your only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would experience an everlasting life. Thank you for that now. We celebrate it now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, for anyone who's here today who's uncertain about their walk, their relationship with you, for those that are struggling in areas of their life, Lord, where they're dealing with Temptation, they're dealing with a sense of failure. I pray that you today would draw them by your spirit and that they would be so aware of that in their lives. They would be so aware that you're reaching out to them today. It's not difficult simply to say, yes, Lord, I want you in my life. I believe, Jesus, you're the son of God and that you died on the cross for me. Come into my heart today. Change me. I want to live for you. For believers who are dealing with some real issues, some difficulties, and, and maybe even this time of year is, is a struggle. There's memories. There's things going on right now. Lord, I pray for supernatural comfort. I pray for, Lord, blessing in their life during this season. And help all of us, all of us in a time where there's so much emphasis on getting things and getting stuff that we would be so grateful for what we have been given and that Lord you will move in us in a powerful way to share that with others around us to be givers to bless those around us to express the joy of Christmas and the blessings of God God I thank you for blessing upon each one here today bless them guide them this coming week Holy Spirit Thank you for your blessing, your protection. Thank you that we, we are prosper, that we prosper in your name as we seek after you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.